Hey, Chapel Street Church. I'm excited to talk to you about something called Rooted. Some of you already know about Rooted. It's been part of our church for a number of years now. Uh, several years ago, we were thinking and praying about, if you ask the average person who's part of Chapel Street what's next in their spiritual journey, we had a thousand different answers. And we felt like we needed one clear next step. And that's what Rooted has become. It's a 10-week journey through the gospel and scripture built around experiences. That's what makes it unique. It's not just study and filling in the blank answers. It's built around experiences through 10 weeks in community. There's a serve experience, there's a prayer experience, and these things combined in community help change people's lives. I've talked to many of you who have been deeply impacted by Rooted. Uh, some of you who are mature believers might be thinking, well, this is, I've already passed this. Not so, it's for you. If you're a brand new believer, it's for you. If you call Chapel Street your home and you're looking for the next step in your life with Christ in our community of faith, Rooted is exactly for you. We encourage you to take part in it. There's a new round of Rooted groups launching very soon. So I want to encourage you, if you call Chapel Street your home and you're feeling like God is moving you to take a next step in your faith in the new year, get involved in the Rooted group. Don't take my word for it. I want you to hear from those who've been part of it. I came into Rooted having just graduated from Wheaton College a few months before. And while I was at Wheaton, I was surrounded by great community. I was in a great place spiritually and relationally and was honestly thriving. And then I graduated and in a lot of ways, it felt like that community got taken away. So then I joined a sub 30 rooted group, which was one of the best choices I think I've ever made. Just getting to know a group of people who were the same age and stage as me and just being able to open the Bible together and talk about these foundations of our faith together was such a cool experience. There's the prayer service, there's serving, there's strongholds, there's um, where a week where you talk about giving and that's very important. You, you bring God into every facet of your life. I think the biggest takeaway for me was I thought I was okay, just me. And I'd go to church on every Sunday and I pray and I do my devotions and and I felt like I was I was still okay. I was walking. But now knowing that there are other people that I'm that are holding me accountable, that I'm holding them accountable, that I can go to them and ask for prayer, that has has really increased I guess my desire to be more like Jesus. If you are even thinking about Rooted, I would encourage you to go for it. I know that there might be some unknowns about the people in your group or about the things you're going to be studying. You don't need to come into it knowing all the answers. In fact, I think a lot of the conversations that you have will be more fruitful if you're able to be in that space of not knowing all the answers because that's when you're able to have really rich conversations with other people as you wrestle through things. That's part of the beauty of this community that you're building. So if you're on the fence, go for it. It'll change your life in the best way. <laughs> well, if that didn't do the trick, uh, I, I don't know what will. It, I, I can speak from experience. Last fall, I was in a rooted group. Actually, Patty, who shared in that video, was a part of that rooted group. And it was just, um, it was not only a joy to be a part of, but really important relationships were established for in my life and I think in the lives of others, as Patty shared, but also just spiritually being challenged and growing in community. And so we would love, uh, as it says on the screen, the registration is now open for that. We would love to have you be a part of that. And if you have questions, um, please seek out our, our welcome team out at the, the desk there. You can find myself. 
Um, Pastor Joe is, is out getting ready for the picnic this morning, and he'll be there this afternoon, and, and he oversees and kind of facilitates our Rooted ministry, and so he'd love to share with you about that as well and answer any questions uh, that you may have. Um, I, I was probably, I don't know, six or seven years old when we had gathered for a family birthday party at my aunt's house. Like I can still picture us kind of all circled up there and we were celebrating some birthdays and I think, I don't have this exactly in my head, but I think mine might've been one of the birthdays that, that we were celebrating. And there was a birthday cake out and we were circled up. We were gonna pray for dinner or sing happy birthday or something. And one of my aunts or my grandma came out with a second cake. And my little six-year-old brain was like blown by the fact there was gonna be two cakes at this birthday party. So with all my, my grandparents, my parents, siblings, cousins, aunts and uncles all surrounded in this circle, I, I blurted out my expression of surprise at this second cake and said, what the heck is going on? But I didn't say heck. I, I said a different word. And I could still like remember like the grip on my shoulder from my dad's hand as I was uh, ushered back to have a conversation with him. And, and I remember him asking me where I learned that. And recognizing kind of the situation that I was in at this point, I quickly started to, um, to reflect all blame to my older brother. I was like, Scott, Scott taught me that, you know? And, and I was like, here's, what, here's the other words he knows, dad. And, uh, <laughs> I, I started to pin everything I could on him to deflect what was coming at me, and I learned a very valuable lesson at that birthday party. Our words matter. Our words matter. They, they do. In fact, we have been in this summer study of this ancient book of, of wisdom literature called Proverbs. And as we've been working our way in this series... We have looked at a number of topics ranging from the idea or need for the nature of wisdom itself to how wisdom is applied to the various areas and experiences that we have in life. Areas like our work and our family relationships. Areas like friendship or temptation and self-control. And so today in, in this series, in our continued pursuit of wisdom together, we're going to look at how to exercise wisdom as it relates to what we say and, and what we don't say. Wisdom and our words. And it's interesting to note that Proverbs actually has quite a bit to say on this subject. In fact, it will be far from exhaustive what we, we cover here this morning. If we were to take the book of Proverbs and we were to break it down topically, outside of the topic of wisdom itself, Proverbs says more about what we choose to, to let come out of our mouths than any other subject matter. And I think in part because it's, it's what our words ultimately are revealing. In fact, in, in the book of James, Interestingly enough, James and Proverbs, they both have this strong emphasis on, on wisdom. And this fall, we're going we're gonna to return to the book of James. We're going to study James this fall. It's been a while since we've been in it. And, and you'll notice some of these repeated themes. But look at what James says in James chapter 3 about, about our language, about our words. 
He writes this, he says, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature. That Greek word, other translations translate that as perfect. You're complete, able also to control the whole body. Do you, like, do you understand what James, like, you get what he's saying? He's like, if you get to the point where, where you are able to, to be fully aligned in your discipleship to Jesus, so much so that that your words are really under control, that they reflect the nature and the character of Jesus, then, then really the spiritual maturity in you, like it's, it's a completed process. It's, it's worked itself out, right? It, it, that this is, is, is such a um, difficult area to master that it's like when you get to that, almost like you've arrived. If you can control your mouth and you've learned to control everything else, James is saying. And I think in part because our, our words, they're a gauge, they're a reflection of, of the state of our heart. And Proverbs is going to instruct us on what does it look like to pursue wisdom as it relates to our words. And so in the time that, that you and I have together this morning, I want us to look at a couple things. I want us to look at the power of words, the transformation of words, and then finally the use of words. Power of words, transformation of words, and the use of words. Let's begin by looking at the power of words. I'm gonna highlight a couple of passages here, um, just some select verses beginning in, in Proverbs chapter 18. 18 verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. Flip over there real fast. It says this. He says, By rebellious speech, an evil person is trapped, but a righteous person escapes from trouble. A person will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the words of a person, uh, and the work of an evil person. Excuse me. And the work of a person's hands will reward him. I can't. Words are hard. Uh, <laughs> and then jump down a couple verses to verse 18. There is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And, and frankly, I could go on and on and on like this all morning. Like Proverbs has statements like this over and over and over again. And what I want to point out here is I want us to notice the contrast in these verses. Right? It says speech can be a trap that snares or it can be a fruit that sustains. It can be a, a sword that wounds or it can bring healing. In verse 21 of chapter 88, it says most Poignantly, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And I think when we read that, if you're anything like me, right, you can almost think like, okay, like Solomon here is being dramatic. He's, he's intentionally using hyperbole to make his point. I actually think Solomon is being quite literal here. Our speech is... is According to Proverbs, he's saying this is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of wounding and healing. It's a, it's a matter of trapping or, or substance. 
We teach kids all the time sort of our own cultural proverb, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I think Proverbs would, would disagree. In fact, Proverbs would argue quite the opposite. The capacity of words to hurt, it, it would argue, far exceeds that of sticks and stones. Let me give you an example. I, uh, I knew a young man who was dealing with different um, challenges in his life and getting known. So he started sharing some stories from his, his upbringing. And he talked about this time as a, as a kid in um, a Little League game when everything was on the line for him. It was, uh, how many innings are in a Little League? Seven? So it was the last inning. Uh, he's got runners on base. They're down by one. He's up to bat. And so he's like, if he gets a base hit, they're likely either going to tie the game or, or perhaps win it. Um, if, if he gets the out, then, um, then the game's over. And... Uh, a lot like my athletic career, right? He's, he's there at the plate. He kind of gets frozen in the moment. The bat doesn't leave his shoulder. Strike three is called. And he knows, like, he can see just kind of as he's walking off the field, like the disappointment in his, his dad's face. Um, and as, he, as the game ends, he comes out, as his dad just starts to lay into him. Like, how could you not, how could you not even swing the bat? What's wrong with you, right? And he says, as I began to defend myself, as I began to try to answer his questions, he goes, but dad, and his dad looked at him and said, don't call me dad. This kid has carried that every day of his life since that moment. Like that I, my identity, my relationship to my dad is gonna be based on my success. And I think, even just by the gas, right? I think there's a lot of us in here that would hope in a moment similar to that that something like that would not leave our mouths. But I'll tell you this, in, in my experiences in kind of one-on-one -on -one discipleship or in pastoral counseling, I, I would say frequently there's times where there is this need to untangle entire identities that have been built on or resulted from careless or cruel words. Besides the power of, of, of death in them. And just kind of as a side note here, I think there does, as it relates to this, there's opportunities because one of the things in those relationships that you try to address, right, is you try to go back and look at, okay, what does, what does God say about you? What, how does he form and shape your identity? And for many of us in a, in a room this size, it would be um, not difficult to imagine that even that hearing that story for you stung because that might not be your exact experience, but maybe there was something like that that made you feel like my relationship to this person, to this parent, to this whatever is built on my, uh, my success or my ability to accomplish something. Scripture calls you beloved, adopted accepted it says in christ we are heirs of righteousness like this is this is the almighty creator god saying who you are and, and we need to allow that sometimes to heal things in our lives where people have said something contrary to that 
Like that, that matters because we live and operate out of identity. The second opportunity that I think exists here is the opportunity to seek forgiveness because I think the other way that that story stings is again, maybe we didn't say those words, but maybe it brought into your heart and mind a cutting word directed at a loved one, directed at somebody you care about, directed at a neighbor or a friend. And sometimes when we hear this, we recognize, Lord, forgive me. I need to go back to that person and say, hey, I know I said this thing and I need you to forgive me because that's not true. And I'm embarrassed by what I said and I'm sorry and can you forgive me? In fact, when I think about the impact of, of my dad's life on me, and there's no, I mean, you guys have heard me tell stories about my dad and we had a great relationship. He, he was the kind of guy when I struck out, w- which was frequent, frequent striker outer, right? Like he was there with like a Gatorade bottle and whatever to be like, get him next time, buddy. Like that, like, but I remember some of the most influential times with my dad are, are moments when he came to me and said, son, can you forgive me? I said this thing, I did this thing. I know that hurts, would you, would you forgive me? And I, I'll take that with me. Um, and just the same way we take negative things with us. But the power isn't, it's not only for the possibility of damage. Notice what else we see here, right? It's life-giving, it's healing, it's sustaining power. In the book of, of Genesis, we see the creator God who speaks all existence into being. Life flourishes, it blooms by the power of his word, and then he creates humanity in his image, and he equips humanity with this life-giving power of speech. Not that we speak universes into being, but that we have the ability, because of our God-given likeness, to be able to speak life to each other. And so in what ways does our speech have the capacity to be life-giving? I mentioned earlier that, that Proverbs has quite a bit to say on the topic, but here are just some of the ways that Scripture equips us or describes this life-giving power of, of speech. It describes the ability to speak blessing uh, uh, rather than curse. And, and I, don't, I don't mean uh, curse like like I did at the birthday party when I was a kid. I I mean, curse in terms of like wishing ill upon someone, speaking poorly of someone. We'll look at this in just a bit, but in in Proverbs chapter 10, it uses this reference of the tongue of the righteous being like pure silver and the lips of the righteous, how they feed many, how it's this life-giving ability. Secondly, we have the ability to speak life when we speak truth rather than lies. We speak truth rather than lives. In Proverbs 24, uh, 24, verse 26, it said, he who gives an honest answer gives a kiss on the lips. I don't know how that makes you feel about us. Honest answer you got. It's, iron- it, uh, it's interesting because actually, culturally, this is, is less about sort of like um, love or romance or anything that we might necessarily associate a kiss on the lips. It's actually about uh, if two people um, greeted each other, if they were considered like it was a, a king and another king, a sign of equality would be a kiss on the lips. So it's actually speaking to that person. Like, I, I see you as valuable. I see you as worthy. I see investing in your life. If there was a difference in those relationships, you uh, would kiss on the cheek. And then if there was a great difference between those relationships, 
no kissing at all. Like, uh, and, and so it's, it's the meaning, the purpose of, of that relationship. And if we, could, if we had time, we could go on because Proverbs talks about speech that is gracious and kind, loving and gentle. Proverbs gives example after example of life-giving speech. And what, what we hear when we read Proverbs and we see those descriptions, right, it echoes in our, our hearts and minds back to Galatians when we read and talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Like we see the outpouring of the Spirit working us in us. It reveals itself in the way that we talk. And perhaps there's no greater capacity to speak life into our friends, into our neighbor, into our family, into our coworkers, into the people God has placed in our lives than the opportunities that we get to proclaim Jesus. The opportunities that we get to, to share the gospel. I love the prophet Isaiah and the way that he describes somebody who is bringing good news. This is from Isaiah chapter 52, verse seven. He says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald. And notice all the speaking verbs here. Who proclaims peace. Who brings good news of, who brings news of good tidings. Who proclaims salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. Like the, one of the greatest opportunities that we have to speak blessing instead of cursing truth, instead of falsehood, to be gentle and kind is, is to proclaim Jesus. And so frequently it's in, in small ways. Just uh, last week, I had the opportunity, um, I had the opportunity, I, I was putting a very positive spin on that. I uh, had to go to the emissions place to take a car in because my, yeah, I had the opportunity to go get my emissions check. Uh, and I, I was not in a good mood about it. And, and it was like my, the tag was expired on the car like a day ago. So it was like, I got to do this now. I, I, I went in there and did the emissions check. And then you could go to the office and immediately uh, buy the tag for your car, which is like, it's like $150 or something. It's, not, it's something real annoying um, when, when you do it and you get a little sticker and so I'm just grumpy. I was hungry. It's the end of the day, whatever. And I overhear this, this person next to me who is asking the worker there if, it's, if there's anybody who might have some gas. Her car ran out of gas in the lot. And I was like, oh, that, that sounds terrible. Well, see you guys later, you know, like. <laughs> and I was like, I was out the door. And I thought, maybe I'm supposed to do something about this. So I went back in, I found her, I said, hey, where's your car? Anyways, long story short, I go to the gas station, I, I buy a gas can, fill it with gas, come get her going. And, and her comment to me was like, you must be a really nice person. And I was like, I'm, I'm not. Like, I, <laughs> I really didn't want to do any of this. The, God made me. And, uh, and I said, honestly, I, I'll tell you, like, anything that is, uh, I said, it's just Jesus, like, He's been working in my life. And I said, I think your God wants you to know today that he sees you and he loves you. And just, I said, I just, I'll be praying for you. And, and if this little tank of gas can, can do that, then awesome, you know? Just opportunities to proclaim Jesus. Okay, moving on. Transformation of our words. The transformation of our words. Contrary to, to moments where we have the opportunity to speak life, have you ever had one of those moments when, maybe whether it's you personally or you're around something, 
where somebody like hits a breaking point and the dam breaks and then it's like, whoom, like flamethrower level of I'm torching this place and everybody's going down with me, right? And if you've ever, if you've ever experienced that, if, you've, if that's ever been you or if you've ever been around that, then the inevitable question that sort of like pops in your head, whether you're self-reflecting or, or looking at the person who just kind of burnt the place to the ground, you say, where did that come from? Like more often than not, right? Particularly if somebody's kind of quiet, if they're more reserved and that comes out, you're like, where did this come from? I alluded to this earlier, but I, I really think this is critical to our conversation. Flip over to, to Proverbs chapter 10. Chapter 10 is one of those the chapters that has a number of things to say about, about speech, about our words. But I, wanna, I want us to see something here in this one section. This is verse 19. First, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But the one who controls his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is pure silver. The heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous feed many, and the fools die for lack of sense. So we, we've talked a little bit about this sense of value there, and we're going to come back to that in a minute. But no, notice the connection, the correlation that's drawn in verse 20 the tongue of the righteous is pure silver. The heart of the wicked is of little value. There is this parallel between what is connected, what, what comes out of our mouths and what exists in our hearts. Right? So in other words, when we ask ourselves that question, where did that, where did this venom just come from? Proverbs answer to that is that that, that is a, a result of our heart condition. So essentially our words, they embody or they reveal our hearts. Jesus, when he's in a, a confrontation with some Pharisees, he's confronting corruption and he says it poignantly and powerfully in, in Matthew chapter 12. He says, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. What, what is coming out? And James, again, is going to make the same point. James confronts, like the prophets do, situations where the body is gathered together. They're, they're worshiping. They're saying all these great things to God. And then they walk out these doors and they just trash each other. And they'll say all kinds of like, whether it's rumor or just slander or vindictiveness, whatever. They'll, they'll just talk. And James is just like, how is that possible? How is it possible that in one moment we can be in this space and we're just like, what am I doing? You know, like lifting it up. And then I get out of here and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna trash you. Like James, he says it this way. He says, does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? And here's the point I want us to see is that our speech exposes our hearts. So the transformation that we need, it's, it's not strictly related to, to what we say. That is the presenting symptom. But the underlying cause or the underlying disease, right, resides in the heart. It's my heart that needs to be transformed. Back to that earlier question, where, where did that come from? When my words are angry or hateful or jealous or crude, Right? It's exposing for me an area that the Holy Spirit needs to confront in me and needs to do his transformative work in me. 
And it's not by accident, I don't think, that the step that, that we are invited to take when we become aware of that is one with our words. It's called confession. But again, James says, therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another so that you may be healed. We vocalize, I, have, I am, see it. I see that, that what I said is a reflection of my heart in Jesus. I want you to do something about that. Holy Spirit, I want you to start transforming me. Long-term transformation of our words is the result of the Holy Spirit's work to bring us to a place of repentance and then to shape us into men and women who more closely resemble Jesus. It's our hearts that need to be transformed. Then finally, I want to look real briefly at the use of our words. The use of our words. I, just, I, want, to, I want to just be practical here for a moment. Because again, back in chapter 10, here when it's depicting this, it uses that illustration of, of being pure silver, which... Again, if you've been with us in this Proverbs series, you'll, that'll resonate with you because that's the way wisdom is described. It's described as like being really valuable, like, like silver and gold. And, and it gives us a picture of the opportunity that we have with words. And just look at verse 19 again real quick. I think this is important, important to understand. It says, where there are many words, sin is unavoidable. Right? To quote Aaron Burr and Hamilton, talk less. I, I will tell you from experience that especially like pastorally sometimes, pe- people want you to have answers in the, in the midst of sometimes difficult or challenging. Actually, I don't think they really want you to have answers. It's, they're dealing with questions. I sometimes feel this pressure to come in with answers and be like, well, here's how this makes sense, or here's, and I have talked myself into places where I'm like, what am I saying, and why am I saying it? We, we see that played out with Job's friends, so there's just first point of wisdom is like, less is more. Again, um, in the New Testament, be quick to listen, and James, slow to speak, slow to get angry. But the question that I want us to, to finish up with today is in what way are our words like silver? What makes them valuable, right? According to the Proverbs, the tongue of the righteous is like silver because it expresses wisdom. We have the opportunity to communicate the very things that we have been learning, and and we have the opportunity to point people or to speak words of life. So if we were to comb through Proverbs, what we would begin to see is that Proverbs teaches us that unwise words are reckless, that they are untrue and they are unkind. They oftentimes emanate out of a place that is sarcastic or angry. They're destructive and, and even deadly. And wise words, in contrast, it describes them as being grace-filled. They're healing. They build us up. They're spoken with wisdom and restraint and humility. And they come from a transformed heart that is increasingly reflecting the nature and the character of Jesus, who the Gospel of John tells us is the word, the Logos, become flesh. And so in the vein of school starting this week, I'm sorry. (laughs) Here's our homework. 
you're a note taker, um, write, write these things down. Is I want you to think about where will you have the opportunity to speak life this week? Where will you have the opportunity? I, I would encourage you to be specific, like who and what and when. Secondly, where do I need to ask for forgiveness when I have used my words to hurt and pierce? Because those same capacity to hurt, it also says words can be used to heal. Right? What, what need do I, do I need to address? And thirdly, where do my words reveal an area in my heart that the Holy Spirit wants to confront and transform? Where is that making me aware of, like, as Pastor Joe talked about it last week, like gaps in the fence, right? Where are my, re- my vulnerabilities? Where do they lie? Because the Holy Spirit wants to tend to that, and he wants to shape you and form you. So three opportunities this week to, to speak life, to seek forgiveness, and, and to be transformed by the Holy Spirit um, because the words are a reflection of our heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for this community. I thank you for the fun that we're going to go have today, Lord. And I, um, I pray that you would continue to do a good work in and among us. Lord, that we would be a community known for speaking words of life over each other, for speaking words of truth spoken out of wisdom and, and with restraint and humility that, that elevate grace, that we might speak words of identity that reflect and are accurate according to what God has said about us and about our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, our friends. Lord, use our words to be a reflection of hope, to communicate love, and to point people to Jesus. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You know what? You can grab a seat real quick. I want to I practice a little bit of what we preached here this morning. Uh, turn to somebody around you and say a word of, I'm just kidding. I was going <laughs> to, every introvert was kind of like, even my wife was like, no, you didn't. Right? Like, like, she was like, yeah, I, I was just picturing the emails I was going to get from that. So um, I know that this week for many of you uh, is the start of school. And I want to just take a moment as, as we begin um, this season of life to pray over our teachers, our uh, employees that work in public and private schools. So if you are, uh, if you work in the schools, would you mind standing up real quick? Hopefully I'm not making you too uncomfortable. Please. As you can see, we have got a number in our community. And I thought today, um, as, as this community is being launched back into just kingdom work uh, that invests in so many of the hearts and lives of our kids, that we would uh, pray a prayer of blessing over them this week. So would you pray with me? Father, I do just um, thank you for how you have equipped each one of these. Um, with a heart and a passion to invest in the lives of students. And so, God, we are praying that you would go before them. Lord, we are praying that you would give them a vision of the kingdom impact that you would seek to unfold in, in the classrooms with parents, with students. Lord, for every difficulty that they're going to face, Lord, would you equip them and empower them to overcome? For every challenge that they may have in the classroom, Lord, would you give them everything that they need? Lord, I pray that the way that these teachers and employees of the schools work, the way they invest in students, the way they speak to people, Lord, would be a reflection of the work that you have done in their heart. 
Lord, bless them. Lord, protect their families. Lord, pour out your spirit over their homes. Lord, that, that you would just enable them to do everything that you are setting in front of them for your glory and for your kingdom purposes. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Would the rest of you stand with me this morning and, and I'll uh, offer the benediction. As always, if we can pray with you, it's a privilege and honor to do that. Like I said, if you've got questions about Rooted, about student ministry, about care groups, uh, men's ministry, women's ministry, sub 30, all of that, there is stuff happening and we've got some QR codes out in the lobby. Uh, I'll send an email this week with links, but we would love to help you find something this fall um, to build into your rhythm and, and to help encourage and challenge you. Now receive this morning's benediction. Go in the name of Jesus that we might be a reflection of voice peace, of the gospel, of the new hope that we have in you. Do this in us. Teach us to speak words of life, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Go to the Tate Farm. Yeah.